Hi, everyone. This is Olivia Kernigan, executive producer of the Screen Strong Families podcast. We've had an incredible year on the podcast with some amazing guests and insight. And as we wrap up season three, we want to share just a few clips of the many highlights from our episodes this year. Enjoy. I want you to start thinking about screen devices as, drumroll please, a pacifier. It is a pacifier for our kids. It soothes them, it calms them, so we think. I mean, it looks like it does on the outside, but there is a big problem. It's kind of cute when they're little, but as they grow up and they get through middle school and high school, pacifiers aren't good. And when I was in this big group of teenagers, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is like a pacifier. Like they can't, they can't do anything without it. And so there's two problems. Kids grow dependent on pacifiers. I mean, you know, when you have a toddler, it's really hard to take it away. That's why some parents say, don't even give it to them to begin with, because it's so hard to take the pacifier away. But our teens are growing dependent on their screens. And the longer they're on their screen pacifier, the harder it is to remove it. And that's the second point. That's why you have to be very, very mindful and very diligent around the issue of putting the wrong kinds of screens in our kids' hands. And, you know, honestly, if you had a five-year-old who still had a pacifier wagging around, you know, it would be really tacky, right? I'm sure some of y'all have seen older kids with pacifiers. It's like, no, what's wrong with that mom and dad? Why are they allowing this? But this is kind of what it is with screens in our teenagers. So I want you to think about that the next time your teenager grabs that phone. I mean, honestly, you know, it's not cute anymore. You know, no kid should have a pacifier pacifier for 24 hours a day either. Peer relations are contingent and ephemeral. What your peers think of you can change overnight. You can go from being the most popular girl to being the odd girl out in one day, in five minutes. Mm -hmm. If, If your life is built around what your peers think of you, then you have built on sand. Mm. on shifting sand and and your life could fall apart and you know it and and, you know there's been an explosion in anxiety among american girls uh, and i think this is one factor driving it Uh, if if your self-concept is based on where you rank in popularity uh, you know perfectly well that could collapse tomorrow one post on instagram and you could be toast uh, and as a result, when peer relations matter more than parents, kids become fragile. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they can fall apart with something very minor, something very trivial from an adult perspective can cause this kid to fall apart. Because, they call them teacups. Yes, that's Gene Twenge's term that... Mm-hmm. Uh, 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 professor who's really studied this nationwide in a very methodical they're, way. They're that, beautiful, but with the slightest drop, they'll break. Yes, they are not resilient. They are mm-hmm. fragile. Uh, mm-hmm. And again, this is a, this is a uniquely American phenomenon. If again, researchers find if you let American teens do whatever they want, most boys want video games, most girls want social media. You need to educate your desire, uh, your child's desire. You have to teach them to want something better and deeper and more lasting than social media and video games. Again, the 15-year-old is not an adult. And if you let the 15-year-old decide how they're going to spend their free time and you have an educated desire, what you're going to end up with if you're like most Americans is a kid who's spending their free time with social media and video games. 
and their potential has not been fulfilled. It's your job as the parent to help your child fulfill, discover their potential and fulfill it. What I see in the classroom is, you know, what parents are seeing at home and, and, and the research is, uh, that's out there is all saying the same thing. That we're seeing an, essentially an epidemic of anxiety, depression, suicide among school age kids. Something's wrong. We know that obviously things aren't, aren't going well. It's a tough day. We, Matt and I always talk about the, the fact that it's a tough time to be a kid. One of the things that's supposed to make it easier, but that is is for sure making it harder, is the amount of time that kids spend immersed in a, a digital world. And you'd, you'd think, because what you hear from technology advocates, and, and particularly in schools, the educational technology advocates, you hear the word connect all the time. Well, kids need to connect and kids need this, you know, and, this, and that is exactly right. Kids do need to connect, but they don't. <laughs> That's you know, I mean, social media. I mean, could there be a, a more erroneous term than social media? They don't need more time looking at TikTok and Twitter and Instagram, and and we're you know you see it all day long in uh, in schools, and it's it's uh, it's terrifying that that we are encouraging kids to spend more of their day doing it. You hear parents a lot say, well, I can't, I, there's no way I could take my, my kid's phone away. I, I would encourage parents to read, first of all, inform yourself, because what you find is that that's, that's not true. It's, it seems like an insurmountable battle to take a phone away. But when you read what happens when parents do that, it's remarkable. And, and pretty much every story I've ever read goes the same way. The first day was miserable. It's, you know, it's, it's, it is literally like detoxing from heroin or whatever. Like the first day was terrible and there was, you know, there was a temper tantrum depending on how old the kid is or whatever, you know, and then it got a little better. And then pretty soon they were going outside and then they were, you know, interacting with their brother or sister more and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, two weeks later, you know, I've got my kid back and, and and if you're if you're really genuinely concerned about a, a child harming him or herself, then, then obviously you need sure. there, there needs to be some some therapy involved. But there are there are the good news in that on that score is there are plenty of mental health professionals who now specialize in this exact thing. That it's no longer a, a niche. It's a it's it is I probably from the last few psychiatrists and psychologists that we've interviewed. It's the thing yeah. um, when when they're seeing particularly tweens and teens, even if it's not an addiction question, it, it always comes up in therapy. So there are a lot of people that are willing to help and are ready to help. And it can be done for sure. You know, in our culture, there's definitely a trend towards, oh, once they become teenagers, their tribe becomes their friends. And then you can mm-hmm. kind of wash your hands and, oh, as long as they're doing okay in school, I think they're, you know, they're going to be fine. But no, that's not mm-hmm. what happens. And even if you ask teenagers, they will tell you, I, w- I want to spend more time with my mom, but she's on her phone all the time. Or, you know, I don't ever get to see my dad or, you know, they all complain. And, and sometimes they'll, you know, we, when, sometimes in my office, when we're talking about doing the reset, the child will, a, t- a teenager, boys included, they'll start crying and say, well, I know we're talking about all that we're all going to spend time together, but I know they're not going to do it. And it's just heartbreaking. And, you know, and I've never seen a teen say, I don't want to, I don't want to spend time with them. In our generation, we probably would say that. I don't even hear that anymore. Like, they're just desperate for attention, you know, and we know that attachment, I mean, you know, there's volumes and volumes of books written on just attachment and, and healthy attachment and what it does to the brain. But one of the important things it does is it helps self regulation, which is exactly 
the opposite, you know, of what screens are doing is dysregulation. But but what's happening is a lot of families are, they might be good at the attachment piece when the child's younger and then they just kind of let it go. Well, they still need that attachment for their self-regulation to keep developing and their sense of self. And when they don't get it, when they're not safe and seen, guess where they're going to get it from? They want to be seen, so they're going to go to the internet. Part of being safe and seen is is having boundaries. And again, that you know, the internet doesn't have boundaries. Right. Video games, if they're endless, they don't have boundaries. You know, social media doesn't have. There is no boundary. There's no end. And many kids talk about that. That that's what bothers them is that you know it just keeps going and going and going. And it's not just like getting off your screen that that affects. It affects their development as a teenager because they really need those boundaries to feel safe. Every day you talk to families, right? You have a private practice. You deal with this issue every day. Why do we think or what is wrong with the assumption that a video game is the only place your kid can have a friend? Yeah, well, you know, for the for those particular, you know, families, the, those kids are already, you know, kind of locked in, in this, the solitary confinement of the video game world. Parents, they're, like I said, their fear is that their kid is, you know, they're not, they're, you know, they're just not going to have any friends if they're not playing video games. But they did, but you don't know that, right? The only way to know that is to, is to, you know, su- substantially limit the video game playing or removing, remove it altogether for a kid that's already addicted. And what kids will do, you know, kids aren't just going to sit and be bored. You know, they want to interact. That's, that's biological. Yeah. And they're going to, you know, they'll become more proactive and reach out and try to set up actual, you know, physical arrangements with other kids. But there's a fear. I think it's based on fear that, you know, parents have the, the fear of, well, if I do, you know, limit or reduce the video games, what if that doesn't happen? Well, if you don't, if you don't do anything about it, you're going to have a kid that's going to be living in your basement at 40 years old playing video games, smoking weed. That's right. <laughs> It's not really technology that's bad. It's the fact that the average kid is spending about nine hours a day and so are adults. And we need to just dial that back to a more manageable level. It's kind of like this. Now you have a kid whose brain is constantly, constantly stimulated all day long. And now they have to go sit in a classroom and listen to Mrs. Smith, you know, for for seven hours. And they're they're all over the place. Their brain does not know how to concentrate and focus. And then they start falling behind in school. They go to a pediatrician. Yep. You check off all the boxes for attention deficit disorder. Uh, even though the kid doesn't even have ADHD because ADHD is not something, it's not really acquired. That's just a loose term. ADHD yeah. is a neurological condition that you're born with. You don't, you don't pick it up as you go along. You're born with it. You know, we hand these kids these modern day weapons of mass destruction called the smartphones. Uh, yeah. You know what I mean? That have, uh, yeah. and now, now you have this kid that can, that, that can now compare him or herself to every single peer, right? You know, every detail of every day going on in every one of your peers' lives, right? And now you're, 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 you're the kids are starting the process of now I'm comparing myself. Everybody else's life is so much better than mine. And now they went one in on this action and they start posting videos and content um, to, to get something in return, to get attention. But what I talk about that I, that I point out in the book that to me is very important is the word self-esteem. I call it cyber self-esteem because self-esteem starts with the word self uh, and it's how I feel about myself. And, it, and it's not anything that can ever be brought in from the outside to the inside. It must come right. from, that's where our kids are getting tangled up right now because their whole sense of self is predicated on what others think of them or what they think others think of them, not what they think of themselves. The designers think about every single 
possibility, every single detail to make sure that you don't take your eyes off the screen, to make sure you're not bored with it. Any kind of element that is frustrating or is annoying, they'll fix it. So they're very good at adjusting the game and adjusting to whatever context it is. And so the spell of digital immersion is your belief that you are actually in a physical other place. Uh, you believe that um, you're no longer in the real world, but you're in another place that has meaning and has other real people that you're playing with. Anything that disrupts that is quite frustrating. So you want to minimize any of those cues to leave. And, um, you know, the most popular game right now, arguably, is Fortnite. It's very good at engageability and making sure that everything is usable. So I guess the most common question I get is, you know, what's the right number of hours? What's, you know, yeah. I don't, I don't how many it. hours can my kid play? <laughs> I know I get that yeah. same question. Yeah. yeah. So I, I sort of say I, I don't describe uh, the right amount of hours because you need to look at your family values and prioritize those values and go from there. Mm-hmm. It's a bit of a cop out, but I think it's a good guiding uh, principle. In terms of the studies that I quote and talk about, 84-hour abstinence protocols from uh, my hometown, so University of Adelaide and Flinders University. Um, you might have heard of Professor Daniel King. He's, he's from my hometown. So, you know, world-class research studies coming out from my city. And so what they did was they found volunteers who were uh, addicted to their video games um, those volunteers gave up their passwords on Friday midday and then they got them back on um, Monday midday. And so just an 84-hour window, and they chose the weekend because they know that that's when you're going to game the most. Mm-hmm. That was enough to give the brain a little bit of a break to realize and get some insight and awareness that some of those negative cognition or thoughts or belief systems are actually untrue. So you might have a thought, I need to get back online to feel better. I need to go back online to be with my friends. My friends need me. All those kind of thoughts. A little window, like 84 hours, is enough to go, hey, hang on a sec. Maybe I don't need to go online. Maybe it's not true. Subsequent um, follow-ups, they had reduced their gaming time. But, of course, you know, if you have the true addiction where, you know, you, you crave playing, you... You get those cues, uh, which are reminders to go back into the game and relapse. Then you're looking at the classic um, game quitter 90-day detox kind of setup where you've got a goal, you're journaling every day, you're getting support from other people online. You know, that's probably more suitable for people of college, student age, young adult age. But for parents, yeah, we have to look at the stakeholders in the school system, who's in the family that can support them. And I have to sort of really give you a a virtual hug when you said that, you know, you didn't like your son because for parents, that's a sign of burnout, right? That's you've kind of gone over and above for your child. You've been over backwards, done whatever you can, and just nothing seems to work. I could talk about moderation for a long time. <laughs> that, was, uh, that ruined many of my many of my streaks of no gaming. Um, wow! So the first time I quit, 
I was, I mean, it was incredible. My relationship with my girlfriend improved. My grades improved massively. My physical health, I was working out every day. My mental health was incredible. Everything was so amazing. I couldn't believe it. And about eight, nine, maybe 10 months later, uh, some friends of mine, we watched, they were watching someone else play FIFA, I think. And we tried, they, they thought it'd be a great idea if we all like reinstalled the game and all played together and got back online and played a game. And I was like, and it's been 10 months since I played. I can moderate video games, no problem. It's not an issue for me. And within, I mean, my Xbox had been in my closet for months. I hadn't touched it. And within two weeks, if that, I was back to square one. 12 plus hours a day, skipping class, depression, poor hygiene, poor diet, everything. Uh, it just collapsed. And over the next six years, I must have gone in and out of gaming at least a dozen times. It's been the bane of my life for, for a long time. Yeah, it was, it was tough. <laughs> and it was a really, really difficult thing for me to overcome, that constant cycle. Uh, but it's, uh, it's finally, finally come to an end. Like I can very happily say. So you probably would recommend to parents that if they're trying to get, trying to guide their, their kids and their gaming world <laughs> right now that this thing about allowing gaming, like on the weekends, for example, this is kind of a common thing that, that I hear, you know, yeah, my son has a problem. I, he has all the warning signs of this addiction, but I think on the weekends is okay because we just believe in moderation. I hear this all the time. What would you say to a parent who has a, a 15 year old trying to moderate their, their games? I mean, would they be okay with them moderating smoking or drinking or drugs? At the end of the day, people like to say that they have an addictive personality and they get addicted to video games or whatever it is because of these things. But video games are addictive substance. They've been designed to be addictive. They've designed to hook, especially young people in, young guys mostly. And you can make these excuses that they're, they're doing their chores, but how much do you need to celebrate doing a chore? It should be a basic thing that we do. And I wish I'd, I'd learned this at a young age, but doing the dishes, the laundry, whatever it is, they shouldn't be rewarded with, it's like, I don't know, you, your kids just put away the laundry or folded the clothes and you're like, here, go and take a cigarette break. Yes. It's like, <laughs> it's like back in the day, I'd be okay, sure, moderation is fine. But now that I know what I know about video games and I've looked into research from my experience, talking to people, it's, there's no such thing as moderation anymore especially if you're an addict and i don't see why if you know there's a problem with it if you know that it causes damage to you and it makes you suffer and makes all these problems in your life why you'd want to moderate it in the first place right if it's if there are no positives at all there's only negatives then you have to ask why is it something you want to moderate to and the only answer is that you're addicted to it that's my answer <laughs> to that, uh, my short answer to that. I think some people out there have kind of done a, a disservice to parents really pushing the idea that use video games as a reward. Use wow. it as a carrot to get your kids to, to jump, to do this, to do chores, to do school. It's a, 
deception because it looks like it works for about a week, maybe a month. And then what you have is kids start to say, well, I want more video games and for, for school because I'm not really liking school. And that's what the research will say. When you use extrinsic motivators, that's what video games are. It, ex, extrinsic means external. It has nothing to do with school. You know, phones, uh, money. Uh, when you continually use an extrinsic motivator to try to get your kid to do something, it chips away at what is the most important thing that we as parents want to develop in our kids, and that is an intrinsic desire to do well. Um, it diminishes their desire. These extrinsic rewards subconsciously send the message, if I'm getting rewarded for this, what I'm doing really must stink. I must really, I really should hate it. I don't like history. I don't like math. I need to get rewarded for right. it. I'm too old for them to know what ADHD is. And I was not a, you know, I have a lot of those characteristics and I was not like a really into school kid. And I, it took me a while to find that. But I remember distinctly like middle school, like, oh, that's the the smart kid. That 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 kid seems to get the the score. I wonder if I tried hard. I wonder if I could kind of like get close to what that kid does. Or maybe, if, you know, let's just see what happens. I, here's a course that's coming. What, what happens if I really try in this one? That's what we need our kids to do. Yeah, we don't need to like pay them to go to school, which is kind of what we're doing when we're giving them these rewards. And I agree with you 100% that you should never use a screen as a reward. It, it is such a counterproductive thing. And what, what parents should be thinking instead is that we should think of things that we value and use those things as a reward. You should always use something you value as a reward. You know, Richard, why are we scared of our kids? Let's just throw that in for our final question. <laughs> it's hard. I mean, when you get kids that are told by an outside force that this is where they are supposed to live their lives and this is their truth, mm -hmm. they can get into an unhealthy place and they can, and we, and we can lose that attachment. And once we lose that attachment and that connection, it's really hard to parent. So whatever it is, we need to start today to work to get that back so our kids can hear us. So do you think that middle school is really the worst age to give a kid a smartphone? Or is that just like a myth and exaggeration that people have made up? Like, what are your thoughts on that? So based on my own experience of being pretty much an outsider out, out from that camp through all of middle school and early high school, I think it's, I most certainly agree that middle school is the worst time to give someone a smartphone just because the the awkward stages that everyone's going through even even outside of phones you can see how people are changing so much and it, people are just ruthlessly mean to people for no reason because everyone's so insecure all the time and i just i've seen like firsthand in countless relationships how um people really just change as soon as they get their as soon as they get that smartphone and I've had friends who I used to be tight with, but they got their phone and that, that became their life. And they were, um, I would still see them at school, but it was obvious that that was just, that was taking precedent in their life and um, their status on social media and the time they were investing on their phone was, was obviously a, a higher priority in their lives than building a relationship with me or others was. Um, so I definitely think that middle school is just brutal in that sense. And it's, it goes alongside with high school as well. Um, just 
middle school and high school are high school is really just a continuation of the insecurity that begins in middle school. I don't really think high school is much of a better time either, just because kids are even more ruthless in high school. And I think the drama that happens on group chats and, and uh, over social media platforms, is just a mess. There's, there's no ability for people to effectively communicate. Everything is just a screaming match, typing page long paragraphs, and no one knows how to feel empathy or sympathy for the person they're communicating with. Um, I, I think those are just, just it, brutal times to have to cope with that additional um, stress on top of the stress that someone might already experience from school. And when it comes to the that aspect of the stress, I really don't think I missed out at all um, in middle school. And I, sure, I really wanted a smartphone, but now I'm I'm so thankful every day now that my parents were that they were strong and that they didn't give in to my every whim and want immediately. And I just see how being spared from all that drama and the additional stress that people get and really the identity shaping influence that social media and their peers online can have is really is really kind of brutal and and yeah are there any any thoughts you have on that as well Evan I mean no doubt we wanted a smartphone in middle school I mean everyone started to get them in 6th and 7th grade and everyone started to venture into the world of like social media and we were just like Oh my gosh, like people were making references and I had no idea what they were. It was like things people had posted on social media. And during lunch, we would just feel so, like you do feel left out and it's not a good feeling. No one likes to be left out. But you have to understand that there's a reason that you're not getting into all that stuff that they are. And it's way more refreshing to be different and not just follow the same crowd and I'll look at everyone else's and life and what they do. And it's really hard. It's hard to be different, especially in middle school when everyone makes fun of everyone else. And yeah, sure. Andrew and I got picked on countless times through middle school almost every day for not having a smartphone and video games, but that's not a character flaw. There's nothing wrong with Andrew and I see. So they couldn't find anything. And, Middle schoolers always try to find things to make fun of other people about, and especially character flaws and dumb decisions. But Andrew and I were made fun of for not having smartphones and social media and video games and stuff like that. So it's like there's there's nothing important that you miss out on in middle school by not having a smartphone one interesting aspect is starting in the in middle school and continuing into high school you begin to notice the correlation between the people who spend so much time on their phones and the people who are constantly complaining about having too much homework or being super stressed um it's always the exact same crowd of people and i always thought it was interesting how given all of the extracurricular activities that evan and i do with sports year round and uh playing two instruments and participating in an orchestra, we we have such a full schedule, but I'm able to get hours more sleep than countless other people in my school and classes that have none of the that have none of the extracurricular activities that I participate in. And I always thought that was interesting how if I'm missing if what I'm getting made fun of is the fact that I get more sleep than them, the fact that I am 
less insecure than them. The fact that I don't have to constantly worry about what thousands of people think about my outfit on a particular day or the shoes I don't have. Um, the fact that I don't have to worry about that, if that's what people want to make fun of me for, I'm just fine with that. Because what they're making fun of me for is is really just what they wish they had. It's It's what kids don't want to have to be insecure, but because of the influences that social media has and and this this ability that they have to constantly be influenced by others around them that just fuels this massive bonfire of stress and anxiety in their lives and insecurity telling them they're not good enough and i'm i'm looking back on it now i am so thankful every day that that was what i missed out on that that really is one of the most beneficial things you can ever miss out on and it, it really i don't know i think it was it was so helpful to me no doubt and the fact that mom and dad didn't give in and give us phone in middle school everyone used to make fun of us and ridicule us for not having it in middle school but that all started to change ninth grade and when people started to have more respect for andrew and i because we played music and we played sports and we were able to carry conversations with people look them in the eye and be polite especially to adults adults used to notice it all the time they were like oh wow that's so cool you guys can have conversations with me and it's it's just so crazy that um it's such a low expectation for middle schoolers that they just can't have a conversation with an adult and so the fact that mom and dad didn't give in made us different and put us out there and people really started to notice that i don't know if that's gonna happen everywhere but based on andrew and i our experience that was that was a really cool thing to see so the title is a letter of resignation my generation to yours basically the background story of this is i'm pretty sure i got done hanging out with some friends this is right when i moved back to iowa and um you know, I was just seeing how much my friends changed over the three years and how it's affecting them. And I was, I was really mad, to be honest. And I started that I started writing this as a prayer because I write down my prayers of just my frustrations and stuff. And then I came out with this because, you know, once I start writing, I can't stop. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of like a slam poem, kind of not. Um, but yeah, here it is. It's called A Letter of Resignation, My Generation to Yours. Please help me save my generation. Our entire world is at risk of sinking. One swipe away, capsizing in abbreviations and crude videos. How come no one can see these screens are hurting me? My generation is dying, behind their screens slowly rotting. When did it become okay to avoid social interaction? None of us know how to really truly communicate. Sure, there's some good, but there's a lot more hate. Hold on, do you want me to serve you on a pretty plate to look at, not to eat? Here are some ugly stats on a pretty platter. Even if I told you, would it matter? Or would you just take a picture and comment, that's so sad. How are you not getting mad? Suicide in young girls, I'm talking 10, age 10 to 14, has gone up 151% since social media became our main event. Middle schoolers are the first ones to go. High schoolers are soon to follow. You gave us a snake and condemned us for it biting. My generation is dying. Stop pumping us up with drugs and shrug away the fact that social media is taking your babies away. So here is my letter of resignation. I will not follow my generation into damnation. I refuse to fall into the followers abyss. Sincerely, my generation to yours. Thank you. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I know. I'm Where's my box of Kleenex, Mandy? <laughs> Choked up over here. 
We usually end our podcast by asking our guests to give some final words of advice to our listeners. Here are just a few favorite pieces of advice that we think deserved a second listen. Yeah, I think I love something that I read in Breaking the Trance. I wish I I should have marked it. I don't have the direct quote, but I know that he talked about not feeling guilty and not allowing your kids to shame you or make you feel guilty. That really hit home with me. Just in general, I had a lot of guilt around the fact that I allowed him to have this iPad. I allowed him to have Minecraft. Like I have actually caused and created this problem or at least allowed it in my home. And while I was kind of wallowing in that shame and guilt, it was actually not helpful at all. Um, I had to just give myself grace and recognize that, you know, I made the best decisions that I could at that time with the information that I had. I wasn't trying to hurt my son. Um, I wasn't trying to make a bad decision. I was really trying to do what I thought was best. It doesn't do me any good to feel shame or feel guilt. What I needed to do was just get out of that and say, okay, that's in the past. That's done. I can't change the past, but I sure can change the future. Like, what can I do right now to change it? And I think that that is just so key for me is don't look back. Just say, okay, here's where we're at. We never thought that we'd be here, but we are. So what can we do moving forward? And if that's take the screen strong challenge or, you know, whatever that is, even if it's just baby steps, like limiting the time, cutting back the time, whatever, whatever step you can make right now, just look forward. And I think that that is key. Just give yourself some grace for what's happened in the past and move forward. What I would say to parents is that you need to be firm with your decision, whatever you decide to do about, about video games, don't go back on your, your on your word. Don't break uh, your promises, whatever it might be, your limitations you place on gaming. And as hard as it might be to restrict them, to ban gaming from your house, to do whatever it takes to get rid of gaming, you have to be strong. You have to stick through with it because if you don't, it could have such drastic problems later on in life that you can't foresee right now whether they're eight years old, 10 or 15, whatever it might be. You need to really be sure uh, with your decision, with your actions, and do what you can to help them thrive and give them all the tools, all the resources they need to develop an incredible life later on, to build that discipline, to deal with hard things to build emotional intelligence and improve their mental physical health and if you do that early on and you can get them to avoid video games then it'll have a drastic improvement later down the line and no matter what happens don't give up it'll be tough it's uh, there'll be a lot of failures there'll be a lot of mistakes but if you keep going Eventually, things will start to brighten up and will improve. We want to be their friend, but we are first and foremost their parent. And our primary objective is to to send out of our house a healthy human being. Now, if we send a child out of the house who's not a healthy human being, we're going to have a lifetime of sorrow and pain. And we understand that. And, And in order to send a healthy human being out of your house, you've got to give them a childhood. Mm. The greatest gift you can give them is a childhood, not your friendship, but a real childhood. And to be a parent 
that makes them be a child. And they will bless you as an adult. They will bless you for this. I guarantee you, your child will never say, as an adult, I curse my parents because they wouldn't let me play video games. <laughs> yeah. Your child will never say, I never, curse never. As an adult, they will never say, I curse my parents because I couldn't watch TV. They will say, it was the greatest blessing my parents ever gave me. I, it, it is truly, it is the critical decision for every family, for every human being. And I believe with all my heart, any credibility I have, I put on the line to say, this is the critical threat to the existence of our civilization. Mm-hmm. To be able to hold together as a civilized body, the homicide rates have exploded. The world's coming unglued, bad things all around us. Again, wrap your mind around it. 2020, the annual increase in homicide was 20 times, at least 20 times worse than anything we have ever seen. And 2021 is even worse. And this is the new factor. But we as parents can still make a difference. You can, I don't care if they're a high school senior, you can still make a difference by detoxing them and sending them off to college with a set of, of rules and a foundation and an understanding. And they will bless you for it. Please understand that this lifetime of sorrow when children grow up and, and don't have a life, they have destroyed families, they have broken relationships, they're physically broken because they're sleep deprived and suicide and drug overdoses and, and traffic accidents and traffic deaths. All of those things explode exponentially. And it's your job as a parent to set a standard for them and that do what's right for them. It, it is the most important task you will ever have. And it, and it is the most, the greatest blessing you will ever have. There's things that we can't control about our children. Wonderful people have kids that have bad things happen to them. There's things we can't control, but there are things we can control. Mm-hmm. And this is the single greatest factor. And with all my heart and all my might, I tell you, you've got to follow up on this. This is where we can make a difference. This is where we can begin to change our civilization with our children. The only thing in the world we can't control is our kids. And so that's our little part of the world that we're going to make into a better place. If you look at the general theme behind all of this social media, video games, all of these things, these addictions that people have, everyone just wants to be the same as everyone else. Everyone just wants to, they want to act like they're, oh, quirky and original through their posts on on social media, but really they're just copying something they saw someone else post and they're just trying to put their own little spin on it but no one's actually being original or genuine no one it's way it's super exhausting to be different but that does not mean that being different is not worth it um evan and i we grew up different just from not having a smartphone or social media or or video games but um if anything we've talked out uh, talked about has meant anything to someone listening um i hope at the very least it communicates to them how being different is so worth it it's so beneficial to be willing to be a little different and to actually you don't have to conform to what everyone else is doing to how everyone else spends their time to the fake relationships that everyone else seems to be enjoying but but not really um but you don't have to constantly just congeal to what you see influencers saying um how you should act on social media and other other things like that the list goes on 
but being different is so beneficial. And sure, it's difficult. It's going to be exhausting, especially in middle school. It's hard to be different from your peers, but you'll find that the relationships you develop will be so much more meaningful. People will respect you because you're different. And once they get over their jealousy and once they get over the the fact that they can't stand that you don't have to worry about all of the constant anxiety that they're being berated with, people will appreciate you and understand how you can be a better friend than any of their thousands that they might have hundreds or thousands on social media, hundreds and thousands of fake friends. And I think the your ability to interact with and be personable with with people is just it'll it'll blow away any other development or skill you think you might gain from from being on social media so yeah and to a parent who's struggling with wanting their kid to have friends because i mean every parent wants their kids to have friends but you can't be your kid's best friend regarding something like this because they're at school and they see what their friends have and they want it because everyone likes to be accepted but as a parent you have to know that your kids aren't gonna love you and thank you so much right away for taking away their phone or their video game or something like that. And you just have to be able to know that you're going to put up with a lot of trash. And Andrew and I in middle school, like sixth, seventh and eighth grade, um, when we didn't have these things that everyone else had, we gave mom a lot of trash. We were very rude and mom just would sit there because she knows how insecure and immature we are in middle school. And that she knew what was best for us. And just looking back on that now, it's just amazing to see how much more fun I'm having in high school uh, forming real relations with people because mom was able to endure everything, every mean thing, every sassy word that we sent her way, uh, as well as dad. Dad was able to stand up to it too. And then for a kid, you have to know that your parents know what's for you and they've been around longer than you and they have more experience in life than you and you have to be able to listen to them and you have to understand that they love you and what they're doing is they're looking out for you in the future and they're trying to put you on a better track and to be different and to go and do something that makes it your own and not someone else's and just to understand that it's not going to be fun at the beginning but the benefits that you'll reap in the future are just innumerable. Yeah, and just for parents. Parents, it's really hard, but we need parents to be willing to be different too. You have to be willing to kind of bear some of the scrutiny that you might get from other parents saying, oh, um, she's just a crazy mom who's uh, a phone cop or a video game cop or something like that. Uh, parents, we y'all just have to be willing to stand up for your kids. As kids, we need it more than ever for parents to be to be standing up for us and and as as a middle schooler you don't want your parent to treat you the same way everyone else does even though that's what everyone else they want the cool mom or they want the the cool dad or something who who treats them them like they're equal or like a friend i think parents really just have to put their foot down and say i'm not going to be acting like your peers want me to or you want me to but i know it's best for you and i love you way more than any of your friends do and because of that, I am going to help you along this difficult time. Um, and I'm going to make sure that the relationship that we have 
supersedes any of any of that superficial relationship that you might think you're gaining from your peers or from social media. And um, yeah, it's exhausting for the kids and and for parents to be different. But in the end, the benefit is is just it's far greater than anything else. And those benefits are are they shape your lifetime. They will they will impact how you are as a person, how you interact with others. And um, these these benefits aren't just in middle school and high school. These are these are lifelong benefits that um, that kids will will receive from their parents. And what parent doesn't want to give their kid that kind of benefit? I, I really think it it is it is something. There's something to be said for parents just being willing to love their kids enough to tell them no, to love their kids enough to say, hey, I know it's better for you, for you than you do. To just love your kids that much. I, I think that's so beneficial. What I would say is it is my firm belief that in 20 years-ish, at some point in the future, people are going to look back on this era and go, what were they thinking? How in the world did they give this technology to their kids? Why did everyone do that? We look back on, um, you know, things in the past. It's so easy to look back and go, wow, those, you know, those people in the, in the days of slavery, how could they have ever owned slaves? You know, those people in Nazi Germany, how could they have ever gone along with the, with the Nazis? You know, that we never, ever would have done that. Well, we're doing that. We're doing that with screens. We have to see it that seriously and understand what would we be thankful for? What will be, what do we wish we would have done with our kids, with our with the kids that we influence, understanding that this is really causing serious, serious harm. It's not just a form of technology. It's not just, oh, technology is technology and and it's good because it's new. And that's just part of the, the, the um, deception, I think, around this subject that, sure, it, it's made of plastic and metal and electronics and all that kind of stuff, but it's intentionally addictive. Yeah. It's really intentionally addictive. So... Cal Newport, who wrote Digital Minimalism, and he, yeah. he has a lot of great things to say on the subject, but he, he said in an interview a while back now, uh, he, he made an optimistic quote around, he thought in five years, we would look at a teenager with a smartphone like we do today at a teenager with cigarettes. Yeah. I think it's been a while. I think he was optimistic. I don't think, yeah. I think we're too deep, but that's what I would say when you, we have to start seeing it like that. So learn, learn from Screen Strong, learn learn what's actually happening and be willing to be countercultural so that in 20 years, when those kids are grown, they'll say, thank you. You know, thank you for giving me an imagination. Thank you for helping me not be an addict. Thank you for that. I'm different from other people that went all in on technology and in the 2010s and 2020s. So I think that having that long view is what I would encourage everyone to, to have. From everyone on the Screen Strong team, we wish you a very happy new year and look forward to seeing you again in season four. Remember, we've got your back and we are here to help you. So until next time, stand up for your kids, stand out from the crowd, and stay strong. Stay strong.